Welcome back, folks, to episode 11 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, Dr. Armando Dominguez, um, Ph.D. in health psychology and also an adjunct professor at a local community college and martial artist and researcher for many years. And what we're going to be covering today, I mentioned in the last episode, uh, that I was going to give you the why the name in quotes, flexing my air quotes once again, uh, Running Man uh, podcast came to be and why the term Running Man for what it is that are the self-regulation skills that uh, we are actually talking about and discussing on this podcast. Now, um, many years ago, working as a clinician, uh, I had often had whiteboards available to me. If anybody knows me personally, know that I'm kind of a whiteboard nut. I love to have huge whiteboards because my mind explodes. And if I have markers, there is no limit. And I start identifying not only ideas, but connections and start putting down basically what we'll be discussing as uh, points of thought and also illustrations, not unlike the Running Man picture on the podcast uh, picture. And um, that is exactly what I use as a, a diagram with words that describes the symptomology of stress as it happens, when it happens, and uh, that's where the discussion springs from. Now, why is this so important to the Running Man podcast and to you as my listeners? Well, one is I want to give you a little history and background as to why. Now, Running Man is not a gender specific, but rather is kind of an androgen of sorts. G-Y-N, not androgen. <laughs> and uh, this is a term I picked up from a good friend out of uh, Eastern Europe. But uh, an androgen being something that stemmed from um, Eastern European mythos and legend that was neither male nor female, but both. So I think it's a perfect amalgam of, of human. So it represents human being, anybody, human, male, female, uh, either biological sex and whatever gender one aspires to be or attributes to themselves, and no offense made, but this is just the identifier that uh, we all, male or female, a biological sex, or regardless of gender or identity or lack thereof, uh, we all respond this way. So this is a very general, applicable tool, generally applicable, in the sense that it applies to all of us. How we interpret it when it goes through the filter of our higher mind, that's pretty unique. But uh, as far as the running man model, it's the human stress model that I've added the term running man to because in principle... Whenever we're dealing with things that are environmentally stressful, it can be stress of, oh, I can't pay my bills today. Or maybe I dropped a rock on my foot. Oh, God, the dog's going to bite me. Or things along those lines that are actually arousing and awakening of our self-protective mechanisms in our body and in our mind, our neurological wiring that says, run, run, because it's going to eat me and I feel like the bologna sandwich and I don't want to be his meal or her meal for that matter. So the running man uh, picture has to do with how we, as an archetype, uh, respond to things that are painful or scary or things that are not good for us. So it's right in line with the hedonic response, meaning we move towards pleasure. We could be running towards something that's good for us, but we could also be running away from something that maybe isn't. So um, that is why the picture is what it is. But there is a little more story behind it as well. 
Um, whenever we think about the stresses that we have as a human being and the symptoms and, and, and signs that we've been talking about, the signs being the things that someone else can see outside of us and say, oh, you're experiencing stress, it looks like, is a, a, a sign. Whereas a symptom is something that we will report because we're experiencing it within ourselves and we can report it to somebody. But um, these are all indicators of something that's pre-existent and often that is a stress response on the inside or a stressing um, event or environment that is causing us to have that stress response on the inside. So these are two things that uh, we have to keep in mind whenever we're thinking about symptom stress and sim symptom uh, uh, stress signs rather. So here we go. Running man. Why is this so important to me and why do I need to know that? In essence, you know, whenever we move away from things, once again, we may not be running, but the idea, the picture of it is as if we're moving away from, could be running. And knowing that helps us understand how it is that we respond to stresses generally, things that are uncomfortable, even things that are spoken to us that are uncomfortable. That becomes part of our environmental space as we hear the sound of the words and also as the words enter and we interpret the signal that we call words or the language or the code, not counting the body language and tonals just yet, just, just the code itself, the words, and how we interpret that. And therefore, we respond by thinking mindfully and saying, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. Or we respond less mindfully. I don't want to say mindlessly because there is a measure of mind, but it's very basic and I would call it paleo reasoning. Um, primordial is probably more correct because it's uh, older than the stick. And the stick is a tool that came around whenever we became tool users, but primordial in the sense that it, it is within our neurological wiring and it's all of our inherited genetic inheritance uh, that, that we've gotten from our forebears, from our family and our ancestors, this sort of thing. So the next part is understanding that whenever I started putting together this model, uh, I had done somatic work, which means body work. Um, I'd also been involved in psychology a good bit. And one thing that I noted is that many people that had gone through therapy had always come back over and over, literally a revolving door through not just the hospitals that I worked at, not just the clinics I worked at, but also others and speaking to other peers that worked in the field and even speaking to people that were to become my colleagues and peers whenever I was still in school reported the same thing. And that is that people would keep coming back and there were repeat patients. I don't want to say customers, but not unlike that. They, they were consumers because they were paying for services often and got quite expensive over time throughout a lifetime. So there were things that weren't being fixed. Now, I'm not advocating for not going to therapy. What I'm advocating for is that we be more mindful of what it is the effect is whenever we have therapy and also what kind of things are also uh, helpful, equally helpful in some cases and sometimes better, that involve working at the somatic or the body level. And you may have heard me on some of the other podcasts that you've heard, and if this is the first one you're listening to, okay, you don't have to listen to them in order, but uh, I do mention that um, our body feels before it thinks, thinking higher cognitive sense and reasoning that that comes on at 1.2 seconds is about 400 times slower than what our feel perception body level uh reactivity occurs so there, there's a great gap there 1.2 seconds pretty quick 
but still as far as whenever something becomes intensely survival oriented in our body that we can't override it with our best thinking knowing that if if i do this man that's going to be really bad uh that i can't reason my way out of because the speed and intensity of the the signal that comes in at the perceptual level eyes ears skin nose mouth all of that taken into consideration whenever we get signals maybe much faster in our ability to reason is especially if it's particularly intense and those things can hijack our body's ability to want to protect itself and in many cases isn't socially appropriate doesn't look good you ever seen somebody trying to vomit that can't not really what we would call socially graceful right doesn't look pretty but sometimes whenever we eat something that's poisonous or sickening to us we may empty it both ends at the same time and that is not a pretty picture but the important thing is, at the end of it, you're no longer poisoned. Whatever it is you may have ingested that may not have been good for you. So when we take into consideration that extreme, it puts things into context. And that's why the running man is what it is as far as a picture, an archetype of what it is that we experience that overrides our best ability to reason. And when we're running, we're not thinking with our best. Whenever we're moving away from things very quickly, we're not reasoning and rationalizing. We are physiologically vacating space making distance also known as time 60 seconds dead run away from those things that may be dangerous to us even if they're not but if they suddenly appear faster than 100 milliseconds it's going to be interpreted as negative even if it's a little soft teddy bear but it's a fast teddy bear and it's faster than 100 milliseconds you will jump away from it assuming it's dangerous until it's otherwise known as safe and you're going to do that from a distance because more likely you're running and getting out of there. Okay. So in context, once again, the running man indicates that most things, no matter how domestic and how safe they may be, like paying bills or going to work, losing a job or losing a loved one for that matter. These are circumstances that can vary in intensity. Sometimes dropping my ice cream whenever I was really needing to cool off and I don't have any more money to get another one. And that can be not only disappointing, but can make you feel bad very quickly. And then we turn it into a value judgment and we call ourselves things bad. Self-talk, oh, you dummy, or you're so clumsy, this sort of thing that we add to the event that wasn't particularly good. And we don't always have somebody uh, to sweep in and buy us another. So things along these lines can cause us to have negative effects that uh, often ride very quickly, that put us into the fight flight, once again, referral to the picture of the running man. And that's what really it represents, is that often we are moving away from or moving towards things very quickly. And uh, those programs precede our ability to rationalize a reason because it's so quick. Now, we're going to pivot a little bit. So why the running man? Whenever we have a body running, we understand that that's happening at the physiological, physical, musculoskeletal, and cardiovascular, and pulmonary level. We have blood flow going hemodynamically. It is moving to the muscles, moving away from our brain. We're not thinking as well, but we're able to think enough to be able to see, I have to be way over there. I don't need to be here. Simplified reasoning. And if we understand that our body is where the activity is, we also have to understand that whenever we get hurt, it's usually our body that's hurt. There may be things and instances where people say that they've hurt my feelings. And I will call BS once again on this whenever people say 
because they very conveniently forget that we can't re-experience physical pain, that I would much rather have somebody break my arm or break a bone or hurt me physically than hurt me with their words because that lasts so much longer. Well, that is a nice convenient idea that's a very white tower idea that says that I'm, I'm up here safe and I can think with the best of my reasoning. Well, apparently the best of your reasoning is kind of short of memory. And thank God for that. Because if we could have pain again, you would probably say, no, no, you can talk to me. Tell me the bad things that you need to. I can go to a therapist. I don't have to experience that broken bone again or that physical injury. When we have PTSD, there's a belief quality there that doesn't allow us to go there. If you do not have post-traumatic stress disorder or have a post-traumatic stress reactivity, and we have the luxury of distance from those things that may have been abusive, and sometimes that distance is time, and sometimes hearing somebody with authority speaking from their platform saying that it's like this moral, ethical elevation to be able to say that I could endure the physical more easily than I can the psychological. Um, those are misnomers. Those are misdirections. They're also dangerous ideas to be proliferating because our body says otherwise. And this is not to make an ugly comparison, but if you were to be given the option here, break my arm versus me telling you I'm going to break your arm. Yeah, I don't think you'd go for it. And uh, we need to drop that type of reasoning. And let me tell you why. Because if you're speaking that to other people that have no better sense in the sense that they're young or inexperienced or haven't had that, they will be very quickly betrayed by the reality. So it's best to be factual. Pain hurts. Memory doesn't serve us well. And our memories are adjustable. Whenever we remember a memory of sort, it's never remembered perfectly with the highest fidelity, perfectly the way it experienced. I experienced it rather when it happened. Our mind remembers aspects and over-focuses on pieces of it. And therefore, when we're calling it up, we're calling up the part that we saw, the way we experienced it, or how we interpreted and had bad feelings about it after the fact. So keeping things in context, once again, the running man teaches us to be more factual and to pay attention to what the body is doing and understanding that much of our trauma is experienced at the physical level and it's housed there. Not in the sense that the trauma stays there, but rather... Our reactivity, physical reactivity, often is triggered by what has happened to our body at a level that's not spoken. It's at the wordless level of mind. It's at the lower brain level that is perceptual primary, which is feeling. The feelings that you get, like when somebody soothes a cat and runs its hand down its back in the direction that the hair is supposed to go. They tend to get all cool and arts their back and get all warm with you. You do it the other way, and they don't like it so much. And we're not so different. So keeping things in the practical sense, focused on what the body does and how it reacts is a very wise thing. We largely interpret things through our body. We remember things that happen to our body by the tension and the anxiety and panic that we experience that often that may stem from something in an environment that has nothing to do with what's going on now, but just may be similar in color could be tone, could be an object, exact object, could be a person that may have been there, could be the sound of it, could even be the very clothes that I was wearing whenever that happened to me, or a smell. All of these are potential triggers, and if we remember that, we understand that it's the body that indicates to us where our stress is occurring as a result of whatever memory or, or recall we're having. 
So this is one of the reasons that Running Man is the focus, and we focus on self-regulatory skills, because to regulate what's going on in the body allows us to preserve our ability to have the highest level reasoning and rationale that we can muster whenever we are doing, for instance, therapy, counseling, or just making day-to-day decisions that may involve the safety of our loved ones or even ourself. What we have to recognize, too, is the intensity of recall, the reactivity, after we've been hurt or traumatized is where things become very problematic because our body will over-respond. Our lower brain will over-respond. And you've heard the song, Once Bitten, Twice Shy, based on an old truism, which is not so far from the truth. If you've been hurt once by something, you'll be a lot more careful around that something or avoid it altogether. And you may even have bad feelings pop up that your stomach may get nervous your heart rate goes up, or you may give things wide berth because I'm not doing that again. And um, we protect ourselves, and we don't want to hurt again. So those are natural occurrences. When these things become overwhelming and overgeneralized to everything, that's when we start seeing things that look like disordered anxiety, uh, maladaptive behavior where people aren't responding appropriately that would put them into a space of safety where people start negating all guidelines, rules, and laws, for instance, because of the stress, and in quotes, we freak out. And then we may do something that later on we have to pay for because we're accountable and responsible for what this body does, even when it's under stress. We can't not be held responsible for hurting someone or something because our body is freaking out. And we're not self-aware enough to realize during the time that we're protecting ourselves. We're very ego-centric when we're rational, but we're very self-protective. That would seem I-oriented or I-focused when in actuality is like the survival response is very solipsistic, meaning it's only me. I exist, therefore I need to survive. Ego assumes there's someone else there at the bottom line trying to either give you props or take away from you. And that's a social construct. Survival, it's different. But it tends to resemble egoistic, but it's actually very self-centric. Not egocentric, but self-centric. Self as in human body organism survival. There's a bit of a difference. So, since we've covered why the running man... Uh, project is named after the model running man that's actually the human stress model Um, I wanted to share that with you and I just also want to add this that everybody and their mom that you've ever met in this lifetime up until now and everybody and their mom that you will ever meet in this lifetime going forward haven't met them yet they all respond this way to stress Yes, there are variances in extremes. Some are more intense, less intense. And some seem pretty chilly and cool whenever stress happens. And they handle it well. There's some that don't handle it well at all. But this model applies to all of them because we all have a heart rate that elevates under stress. We all have breathing changes as a result of that. The hemodynamics of cognition are um, changing because blood flow goes to the muscles by default. Not by choice. And you can't unchoose that. And we come a little more dumb during the level of stress that we experience because blood flow is leaving our brain as it leaves our intestines and stomach. 
All of these things kind of happen at once. And sometimes it's more extreme. Sometimes we notice that it's not full on complete, but we notice the differences where our reasoning becomes more difficult and we become more apt to become frustrated, uh, especially when we're trying to interpret behavioral signals, uh, facial body language and uh, emotions and tones. Whenever those things get a little harder to deal with, we have arousal stress or what we'd call a baseline elevation of anxiety, if you will. So this is a very human thing. So keeping this in mind, this model applies to all, and it applies literally to every situation that you live through, go and experience, such as even going to little league sports with the kiddos, or even swimming on your own by yourself. And even though you're in a swimming pool, why is it that you have shadows of sharks in your mind and stuff like that? That's our higher reasoning plane with that sense of vulnerability, even if you're a good swimmer and pulling up stuff that we may have seen during Shark Week because it was fascinating to watch, but now I'm in the water and we make these associative judgments that make us uncomfortable. And yes, we can reason it away, but the thing is those little flashes come up and very quickly our mind works that way. And uh, often it's not always to our best benefit. So keeping on task with Running Man, that's why I named this Running Man, but also dedicate this model to all those people that I've met throughout my years, those before I became a professional, even when I was a kid, whom I learned lessons from, some were painful. Also to those people I haven't met that I look forward to meeting and hopefully learning from you as well. But more specifically, I want to dedicate these this recording in particular, but also the entirety of the podcast to those people that are no longer here. Those people, not only the ones that I lost, but the ones that we lose as human beings, as human family. And I do believe we're all connected. That either through illness, injury, or by whatever other unlucky draw of fate may have uh, befallen them, or maybe as a result of their own hand or someone else, I dedicate this to all of them. Because at some point they experienced this level of stress and some people are no longer here because they truly believed that there was no way out. They got to the point of absolute to wherever depression becomes solidified in the body and we do what? We lose hope. We become discouraged. We become unable to see that there is help and that there's hope and we become helpless. The learned helplessness studies they did with animals is not so far from what happens with humans whenever we lose that ability to see the potential for hope and whenever even the words of somebody that loves and care about us it's not enough to jog our body out of that hopeless helpless state because it's occurring at the level of body the level of body needs movement and motion encouraging somebody to move whenever they're in that depressive state is one of the most helpful things we can do but even that becomes an insurmountable odd because if there is depression, lack of sleep, we're burning the reserves of glycogen that otherwise would be stored in our muscles to move. And then we have this state that resembles even like myasthenia gravis or even uh, multiple sclerosis that there is muscle weakness because I don't have the fuel to do. And then there's grouchiness and upset and irritability because by the release of adrenaline, we release emergency energy stores out of the liver, so to speak. So then I have fuel, it burns dirty, I get grouchy, and I'm a little more focused, but I'm really rough to be around. But to all those people that struggle with this, 
those people that were here no longer are. Anyone that has ever experienced a measure of stress wherever I start believing that there's no way out or that there's no hope. I want you to know that because you experience those things does not make you morally weak or ethically wrong. But these are physiological states that tend to be very believable and it's not all in your head. And we tend to be more apt to believe the things we tell ourselves, especially if we don't speak to other people. And a lot of times we take this and absence of evidence you would think would be evidence of absence, but that's not always the case. Sometimes an absence of evidence is enough. And sometimes we take as evidence to support what it is that's going on. And we have to be very careful. So if you have people in your lives, reach out to them. Let them know you care, even when it's uncomfortable. And one thing I'd like to leave you with is that I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and I hope that you follow, share, and comment. And if you'd like to uh, contact me, you can contact me at runningmangetskills at gmail. And it's just the way it sounds. R-U-N-N-I-N-G. Get G-E-T skills at gmail. If you have any comments for me. But uh, I want you to know that I appreciate the time that you spend listening And I appreciate you sharing this as well. And I'd appreciate a follow as well. And uh, we'll be discussing more skills and methods to manage those things that we would call stress in our lives. And uh, we'll talk to you soon on the next podcast. It's been my pleasure. Take care.